Encyclical Letter, Quanta Cura, Condemning Current Errors, and the Syllabus of Errors, by Pope Pius IX. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Quanta Cura, Condemning Current Errors, and the Syllabus of Errors, December 8, 1864. To our venerable brethren, all the patriarchs, primates, archbishops, and bishops, having the grace and communion of the apostolic see, Pius the Ninth, Pope. Venerable brethren, health and apostolic benediction. You know, venerable brethren, with what care and with what pastoral vigilance the Roman pontiffs, our predecessors, fulfilling the charge entrusted to them by our Lord Jesus Christ himself in the person of blessed Peter, chief of the apostles, have unfailingly observed their duty in providing food for the sheep and the lambs, in assiduously nourishing the flock of the Lord with the words of faith, in imbuing them with salutary doctrine, and in turning them away from poisoned pastures. All this is known to you, and you have appreciated it. And certainly our predecessors, in affirming and in vindicating the august Catholic faith, truth and justice, were never animated in their care for the salvation of souls by a more earnest desire than that of extinguishing and condemning by their letters and their constitutions all the heresies and errors which, as enemies of our divine faith, of the doctrines of the Catholic Church, of the purity of morals, and of the eternal salvation of man, have frequently excited serious storms and precipitated civil and Christian society into the most deplorable misfortunes. For this reason, our predecessors have opposed themselves with apostolic fortitude to the criminal enterprises of those wicked men who, spreading their disturbing opinions like the waves of a raging sea and promising liberty when they are slaves to corruption, endeavor by their pernicious writings to overturn the foundations of the Catholic religion and of civil society, to destroy all virtue and justice, to deprave all minds and especially those of inexperienced youth. From the healthy discipline of morals, to corrupt it miserably, to draw it into the meshes of error, and finally, to tear it from the bosom of the Catholic Church. But as you are aware, venerable brethren, we had scarcely been raised to the chair of St. Peter, far above all our merits, by the mysterious designs of divine providence, then seeing, with the most profound grief of our soul, the horrible storm excited by evil doctrines, and the very grave and deplorable injury caused specially by so many errors to Christian people, in accordance with the duty of our apostolic ministry, and following in the glorious footsteps of our predecessors, we raised our voice and by the publication of our several encyclical letters and allocutions, held in consistory, and other apostolical letters we have condemned the principled errors of our sad age, reanimated your utmost episcopal vigilance, warned and exhorted upon various occasions all our dear children in the Catholic Church to repel and absolutely avoid the contagion of so horrible a plague. More especially, in our first encyclical on the 9th of November, 1846, addressed to you, and in our two allocutions on the 9th of December, 1854, and the 9th of June, 1862, 
to the consistories which we held. We condemned the monstrous opinions which particularly predominate in the present day, to the great prejudice of souls and to the detriment of civil society, doctrines which not only attack the Catholic Church, her salutary teaching and her venerable rites, but also the natural unalterable law inscribed by God upon the heart of man and sound reason itself, and from which doctrines almost all other errors derive their origins. But although we have not hitherto omitted to proscribe and reprove the principal errors of this kind, yet the cause of the Catholic Church, the safety of the souls which have been confided to us, and the well-being of human society itself, absolutely demand that we should again exercise our pastoral solicitude to destroy new opinions which spring out of these same errors as from so many sources. These false and perverse opinions are the more detestable as they especially tend to shackle and turn aside the salutary force that the Catholic Church, by the example of her divine author and his order, ought freely to exercise until the end of time, not only with regard to each individual man, but with regard to nations, peoples, and their chief rulers, and to destroy that agreement and concord between the priesthood and the government which have always existed for the happiness and security of religious and civil society. 4. As you are well aware, venerable brethren, there are a great number of men in the present day who, applying to civil society the impious and absurd principle of naturalism, as it is called, dare to teach that the perfect right of public society and civil progress absolutely require a condition of human society constituted and governed without regard to any consideration of religion, as if it had no existence, or at least without making any distinction between the true and false religion. And contrary to the teaching of the Holy Scriptures, of the Church and of the Fathers, they do not hesitate to affirm that the best condition of society is that in which the government is not compelled to inflict the penalties of law upon violators of the Catholic religion, unless so far as the public peace may demand. Actuated by an idea of social government so absolutely false, they do not hesitate further to propagate their erroneous opinion, very hurtful to the safety of the Catholic Church and of souls, and termed delirium by our predecessor Gregory XVI of excellent memory. Namely, liberty of conscience and of worship is the right of every man, a right which ought to be proclaimed and established by law in every well-constituted state, and that citizens are entitled to make known and declare with a liberty which neither the ecclesiastical nor civil authority can limit, their convictions of whatever kind, either by word of mouth or through the press or by other means. But in making these rash assertions, they do not reflect, they do not consider, that they preach the liberty of perdition and that, if it is always free to human conviction to discuss, men will never be wanting who struggle against the truth and to rely upon the loquacity of human wisdom, when we know by the example of our Lord Jesus Christ how faith and Christian sagacity ought to avoid this very culpable vanity. Since also, Religion has been banished from civil government, since the doctrine and authority of divine revelation have been repudiated. The idea intimately connected therewith of justice and human rights is obscured by darkness and lost sight of, and in place of true justice 
and legitimate right, brute force is substituted, which has permitted some, entirely oblivious of the plainest principles of sound reason, to dare to proclaim that the will of the people, manifested by what is public opinion or by other means, constitutes a supreme law, superior to all divine and human right, and that accomplished facts in political affairs, by the mere fact of their having been accomplished, have the force of law. But who does not perfectly see and understand that human society, released from the ties of religion and true justice, can have no further object than to amass riches, and can follow no other law in its actions than the indomitable cupidity of a mind given up to its own pleasures and advantages. For this reason also, these same men persecute with so relentless a hatred the religious orders, who have deserved so well of religion, civil society, and letters. They loudly declare that the orders have no right to exist, and in so doing make common cause with the falsehoods of the heretics. For, as taught by our predecessor of illustrious memory, Pius VI, the abolition of religious houses injures the state of public profession, of the evangelical councils, injures a mode of life recommended by the Church and in conformity with the apostolic doctrine, does wrong to the celebrated founders whom we venerate before the altar and who constituted these societies under the inspiration of God. In their impiety, these same persons pretend that members of the Church should be deprived of the opportunity of receiving alms from Christian charity, and that the law forbidding servile labor on account of divine worship upon certain fixed days should be abrogated, upon the fallacious pretext that this opportunity and this law are contrary to the principles of political economy. Not content with eradicating religion from public society, they desire further to banish it from families and private life, teaching and professing those most fatal errors of socialism and communism they declare that domestic society or the entire family derives its right of existence solely from civil law, whence is to be concluded that from civil law descend all the rights of parents over their children and, above all, the right of instructing and educating them. By such impious opinions and machinations do these false spirits endeavor to eliminate the salutary teaching and influence of the Catholic Church from the instruction and education of youth, and to infect and miserably deprave, by their pernicious errors and their vices, the tender and pliant minds of youth. All those who endeavor to trouble sacred and public things, to destroy the good order of society, and to annihilate all divine and human rights, have always concentrated their criminal schemes, attention, and efforts upon the manner in which they might above all deprave and delude unthinking youth, as we have already shown. It is upon the corruption of youth that they place all their hopes. Thus they never cease to attack the clergy from whom have descended to us in so authentic a manner the most certain records of history and by whom such considerable benefit has been bestowed in abundance upon Christian and civil society and upon letters. They assail them in every shape, going so far as to say of the clergy in general that, being the enemies of the useful sciences, of progress, and of civilization, they ought to be deprived of the charge of instructing and educating youth. 
Others, taking up wicked errors many times condemned, presume, with notorious impudence, to submit the authority of the Church and of this apostolic see conferred upon it by God himself, to the judgment of civil authority, and to deny all the rights of the same Church and this see with regard to exterior order. They do not blush to affirm that the laws of the Church do not bind the conscience if they are not promulgated by the civil power that the acts and decrees of the Roman pontiffs concerning religion and the church require the sanction and approbation, or at least the assent of the civil power, and that the apostolic constitutions condemning secret societies, whether these exact or do not exact an oath of secrecy, and branding with anathema their sectaries and supporters, have no force in those regions of the world where these associations are tolerated by the civil government that the excommunications launched by the Council of Trent and the Roman pontiffs against those who invade the possessions of the Church and usurp its rights, seek in confounding the spiritual and temporal orders to attain solely an earthly object, that the Church can decide nothing which may bind the consciences of the faithful in a temporal order of things, that the law of the Church does not demand that violations of sacred laws should be punished by temporal penalties, and that it is in accordance with sacred theology and the principles of public law to claim for the civil government the property possessed by the churches, the religious orders, and other pious establishments. And they have no shame in avowing openly and publicly the thesis and principle of heretics, from whom emanated so many errors and perverse opinions. They say that the ecclesiastical power is not of right divine, distinct and independent from the civil power, and that no distinction, no independence of this kind can be maintained without the Church invading and usurping the essential rights of the civil power. Neither can we pass over in silence the audacity of those who, insulting sound doctrines, assert that the judgments and decrees of the Holy See, whose object is declared to concern the general welfare of the Church, its rights and its discipline, do not claim acquiescence and obedience under pain of sin and loss of the Catholic profession, if they do not treat of the dogmas of faith and morals. How contrary is this doctrine to the Catholic dogma of the full power divinely given to the sovereign pontiff by our Lord Jesus Christ, to guide, to supervise, and govern the universal Church. No one can fail to see and understand clearly and evidently. Amid so great a perversity of depraved opinions, we, remembering our apostolic office and solicitous before all things for our most holy religion, for sound doctrine, for the salvation of the souls confided to us, and for the welfare of human society itself, have considered the moment opportune to raise anew our apostolic voice. And therefore do we, by our apostolic authority, condemn and proscribe generally and particularly all the evil opinions and doctrines specially mentioned in this letter. And we will and commend that they be held as reproved, proscribed, and condemned by all the children of the Catholic Church. But you know further, venerable brothers, that in our time, insulters of every truth and of all justice and violent enemies of our religion have spread abroad other impious doctrines by means of pestilent books, pamphlets, and journals, which, distributed over the surface of the earth, 
deceive the people and wickedly lie. You are not ignorant that in our day men are found who, animated and excited by the spirit of Satan, have arrived at that excess of impiety as not to fear to deny our Lord and Master Jesus Christ and to attack his divinity with scandalous persistence. We cannot abstain from awarding you well-merited eulogies, venerable brothers, for all the care and zeal with which you have raised your episcopal voices against so great an impiety. In our present letter, therefore, we speak to you most lovingly, to you who, called to partake our cares, are our greatest support in the midst of our great grief, our joy and our consolation by reason of the excellent piety of which you give proof in maintaining religion, and the marvelous love, faith, and discipline with which, united by the strongest and most affectionate ties to us and this apostolic see, you strive to valiantly and accurately fulfill your grave episcopal ministry. We ought then to expect from your excellent pastoral zeal that taking the sword of the Spirit, that is to say, the Word of God, and strengthened by the graces of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will watch with redoubled care that the faithful committed to your charge abstain from evil pasturage which Jesus Christ does not cultivate because it was not sown by his Father. Never cease then to inculcate in the faithful that all true felicity proceeds to men from our august religion, its doctrine and practice, and that the people is happy who have the Lord God with them. Teach that kingdoms rest upon the foundation of the Catholic faith, and that nothing is so mortal, so prompt to engender every ill, so exposed to danger for those who think it can alone suffice, as the free will which we received at birth, if we ask nothing further from the Lord, that is to say, if, forgetting our author, we abjure his power to show that we are free, and do not omit to teach that the royal power has been established not solely to exercise the government of the world, but above all for the protection of the church, and that there is nothing more profitable and more glorious for the sovereigns of states and kings than to leave the Catholic Church to exercise its laws, and not to permit any to attack its liberty, as our most wise and courageous predecessor, St. Felix, wrote to the Emperor Zenon. For it is certain that it is advantageous, when the cause of God is in question, that they should study to submit and not to impose their royal will on the priests of Jesus Christ. It is always, but especially at present, your duty, venerable brothers, in the midst of the numerous calamities of the Church and of civil society, in view of the terrible conspiracy of our adversaries against the Catholic Church and our apostolic see, and the great accumulation of errors, it is your duty, we say before all, to go with faith to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find fitting succor. We have therefore judged the moment to have come to excite the piety of all the faithful, in order that, with us and with you all, they may pray without ceasing to the Father, supplicating and beseeching him fervently and humbly for instruction and mercy, in order also that in the plenitude of their faith they may seek refuge in our Lord Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us with his divine blood, that by their multiplied efforts they may obtain from that burning heart, victim of its charity for us, the gift of drawing all by the bonds of his love, of inspiring all men inflamed by his holy love, 
with the desire of living according to his heart, pleasing God in all things and fruitful in all good works. But as there is no doubt that the prayers most agreeable to God are those of all the faithful men who approach him with a heart pure from all stain, we have thought it good to open to all faithful Christians, with apostolic liberality, the heavenly treasures of the church confided to our dispensation, so that the faithful, more strongly drawn towards true piety and purified from the stain of their sins by the sacrament of penance, may more confidently offer up their prayers to God and obtain his mercy and grace. By these letters, emanating from our apostolic authority, we grant to all and each of the faithful of both sexes through the universe a plenary indulgence during one month up to the end of the year, 1865, and not longer, to be carried into effect by you, venerable brethren, and the other legitimate ordinaries, in the form and manner laid down at the commencement of our sovereign pontificate, by our apostolic letters issued as a brief upon the 20th of November, 1846, and sent to your whole episcopal order, commencing with the words, Arcano Divine Providentiae Concilio, and with the faculties given by us in those same letters. We desire, however, that all the prescriptions of our letters shall be observed, saving the exceptions we have declared admissible. We have come to this determination notwithstanding all which might be ordered to the contrary by special and individual mention, and which might be worthy of departure from that decision. But in order that every hesitation and difficulty should be removed, we have ordered that a copy of our letter should be again forwarded to you. Let us implore, venerable brethren, from the bottom of our hearts and with all our souls, for the mercy of God. He has encouraged us to do so by saying, I will not withdraw my mercy from them. Let us ask, and we shall receive. And if there is slowness or delay in its reception, because we have gravely offended, let us knock, because he opens to those who knock. For prayers, groans, and tears, by means of which we must persist and remain joined in unanimous prayer, and let each entreat God not for himself alone, but for all his brethren, as the Lord has taught us to pray. But in order that God may accede more easily to our prayers and yours, and to those of all his faithful servants, let us employ in all confidence, as our mediatrix with him, the Virgin Mary, who has destroyed all heresies throughout the world, and who, the well-beloved mother of us all, is very gracious and full of mercy, allows herself to be touched by all, shows herself very clement towards all, and takes under her pitying care all miseries with unlimited affection, and who, standing as queen upon the right hand of her son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in a golden vestment, knows nothing which he cannot obtain from the sovereign master. Let us implore also the intervention of the blessed Peter, prince of the apostles, and of his co-apostle Paul, and of all those saints in heaven who, having already become the friends of God, have been admitted into the celestial kingdom where they are crowned and bear palms, and who henceforth certain of immortality are solicitous for our salvation. Lastly, beseeching of God from the bottom of our heart the abundance of all his celestial gifts for you, we ourselves bestow upon you, venerable brethren, and upon all clerks and faithful of the laity committed to your care, 
our apostolic benediction from the most loving depths of our heart, in token of our charity towards you. Given at St. Peter's in Rome this eighth day of December, 1864, being the tenth anniversary of the definition of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, and in the nineteenth of our pontificate, Pope Pius IX. Catalogus of the principal errors of our time indicated in the consistorial allocutions in the encyclical and other apostolic letters of Pope Pius IX. Section 1. Pantheism, Naturalism, and Absolute Rationalism. Error 1. There does not exist any divine power, supreme being, and distinct providence in the universality of things. And God is but the nature of things and therefore immovable. God is in man and in the world, and all things are God, and have the substance of God. God is then one and the same thing with the world, and hence spirit is confounded with matter, necessity with liberty, the true with the false, the good with evil, the just with the unjust. Error 2. All action of God on men and on the world ought to be denied. Error 3. Human reason, without any consideration of God, is the sole arbiter of the false and the true, of good and evil. It is a law to itself, and is sufficient to itself by its own natural strength, to take care of the good of men and peoples. Error 4. All the truths of religion are derived from the native strength of human reason. Hence reason is the principal rule by which men can and ought to arrive at the knowledge of all truths of every kind. Error 5. The divine revelation is imperfect and therefore subject to continual and indefinite progress corresponding to that of the human reason. Error 6. The Christian faith is in opposition to human reason, and the divine revelation not only does not do any good, but injures the perfection of mankind. Error 7. The prophecies and the miracles uttered and recounted in the sacred books are only fables of poets, and the mysteries of Christian faith are the result of philosophical investigations. The books of the two testaments contain fabulous fictions, and Jesus Christ himself is a myth. Section 2. Moderate Rationalism Error 8. Since human reason is the equal of religion, theological matter ought to be treated in the same manner as philosophical questions. Error 9. All the dogmas of the Christian religion indifferently are the objects of natural science or philosophy and human reason, instructed by history alone, can by its natural strength and its principles arrive at the knowledge of the most abstruse dogmas from the moment those dogmas have been proposed as objective to the human reason. Error 10. As the philosopher is one thing, and philosophy is another, the former has a right to submit himself to authority when he shall have recognized its truth, but philosophy neither can nor ought to submit to authority. Error 11. Not only should the Church not occupy herself with philosophy, but she ought to tolerate its error and leave to itself the care of correcting them. Error 12. 
the decrees of the Apostolic See and the Roman congregations impede the free progress of science. Error 13. The methods and the principles by means of which the ancient and scholastic doctors cultivated theology are no longer in accord with the necessities of our times and the progress of science. Error 14. Philosophy ought to be studied without taking any account of a supernatural relation. Section 3. Indifferentism. Latitudinarianism. Error 15. Every man is free to embrace and to profess that religion which he shall believe to be true, guided by the light of reason. Error 16. Men may find the way of eternal salvation and obtain eternal salvation in every form of religion. Error 17. At least the eternal salvation of all those who have never been in the true Church of Christ may be hoped for. Error 18. Protestantism is nothing else but another form of the same true religion, in which it is possible to please God to the same degree as in the Catholic Church. Section 4. Socialism, Communism, Secret Societies, Bible Societies, Clerical Liberal Societies. Pests of this kind are often reproved by the severest formulas in the encyclical Qui Pluribus of the 9th of November 1846, in the allocution Quibus Quantisque of the 20th of November 1849, in the encyclical Nocitis et Nobiscum of the 8th of December 1849, in the allocution Singulari Quadam of the 9th of December 1854, and in the encyclical Quanto Conficiamur Merore of the 10th of August, 1863. Section 5. Errors Concerning the Church and Her Rights Error 19. The Church is not a true and perfect society with full freedom. She does not rest upon her proper and constant rights, which have been conferred upon her by her divine founder, but it belongs to the civil power to define what are the rights of the Church and the limits within which she shall exercise them. Error 20. The ecclesiastical power ought not to exercise its authority without the assent and toleration of the civil government. Error 21. The Church has not the power to define dogmatically that the religion of the Catholic Church is the only true religion. Error 22. The obligations which are undertaken by Catholic teachers and writers only bind them with regard to those things which are proposed to universal belief, under the titles of Articles of Faith by the Infallible Judgment of the Church. Error 23. The Roman pontiffs and the ecumenical councils have overstepped the limits of their powers, have usurped the rights of princes, and have even committed errors in their definitions of points of dogma and morality. Error 24. The Church has not power to employ force. Error 25. In addition to the power inherent in the episcopacy, a temporal power is attributed to it by the civil authority either expressly or tacitly, but it is revocable at the pleasure of the civil power. Error 26. The Church has not a natural and legitimate right to acquire and to possess. Error 27. 
the ministers of the Holy Church and the Sovereign Pontiff ought to be absolutely excluded from all charge and domination in temporal things. Error 28. The bishops have not a right to promulgate apostolic letters without the authorization of the civil power. Error 29. The spiritual graces granted by a Roman pontiff ought to be held as null if they have not been sought by the civil government. Error 30. The community of the church and of ecclesiastical persons is derived from the civil right. Error 31. Ecclesiastical jurisdiction in the cases of clerics for civil or criminal offenses ought to be abolished, even without the knowledge and contrary to the protest of the Holy See. Error 32. The personal immunities which exempt clerics from military law may be abrogated without any violation of equity or of national law. Such abrogation is demanded by civil progress, especially in a society modeled on the principles of a liberal government. Error 33. It does not appertain to ecclesiastical jurisdiction by any proper right, inherent in its essence, to direct doctrine in matters of theology. Error 34. The doctrine of those who compare the sovereign pontiff to a free sovereign ruling in the universal church is a doctrine which prevailed in the Middle Ages. Error 35. By the sentence of a general council, or an act of all the people, the pontifical sovereignty could be transferred from the bishop and the city of Rome to another bishop and another city. Error 36. The definition of a national council does not admit of subsequent discussions, and the civil power can require that things remain as fixed by it. Error 37. National churches can be instituted outside and separated from the Roman pontiff. Error 38. Many Roman pontiffs lent themselves to the division of the church into eastern and western. Section 6. The Errors of Civil Society as Regards Itself, and Also Considered in Its Relations with the Church. Error 39. The Republic, being the origin and the source of almost all rights, declares itself by its own right, which is not circumscribed by any limit. Error 40. The doctrine of the Catholic Church is opposed to the good and to the interests of human society. Error 41. An indirect and negative power in sacred things belongs to the civil government, even when expressed by an infidel sovereign. To him belongs not only the right, called exequatur, but also that of the process which is called abuse of power. Error 42. In cases of legal conflict between the two powers, the civil right prevails. Error 43. The civil power has a right to break and to declare and render null the conventions, commonly called concordats, concluded with the apostolic see relative to the use of rights appertaining to the ecclesiastical community without the consent of the Holy See and even contrary to its protest. Error 44. The civil authority may interfere in matters relating to religion, morals, and spiritual rule 
whence it follows that it can pass judgment on the instructions which the pastors of the church publish in fulfillment of their charge for the regulation of consciences. It can even decide on the administration of the sacraments and the dispositions necessary for receiving them. Error 45. All the direction of public schools in which the youth of a Christian state are brought up, with the exception, to a certain extent, of Episcopal seminaries, can and ought to be assumed by the civil authority, and that in such a manner that no right shall be recognized on the part of any other authority of interfering in the disposition of the schools, in the regulation of the studies, in the arrangement of grades, or in the selection or approval of masters. Error 46. Much more, even in seminaries for clerics, the method to be pursued in the studies would be submitted to the civil authority. Error 47. The good constitution of civil society demands that the popular schools which are open to all children of every class of the people, and in general that of all public institutions destined to letters, to the superior instruction and more extended elevations of youth, should be set free from the authority of the church, from all influence and inspection on her part, and that they should be wholly subject to the will of the civil and political authority, according to the desire of the governors and the tendency of public opinion at this epoch. Error 48. Catholics may approve of a system of education for youth outside the Catholic faith and the authority of the church, and which has for its sole or at least for its chief object, the knowledge of things purely natural and of social life in this world. Error 49. The secular authority may prevent the bishops and the faithful from communicating freely between themselves and with the Roman pontiff. Error 50. The secular authority has of itself a right to appoint bishops and to require them to undertake the administration of their diocese, before they have received the canonical institution of the Holy See and the letters apostolic. Error 51. The secular authority has a right to forbid to bishops the exercise of their pastoral ministry, and is not bound to obey the Roman pontiff in matters concerning the institutions of bishoprics and bishops. Error 52. The government can, by its own proper right, change the prescribed form of religious profession, both for men and women, and can enjoin religious communities not to admit persons to solemn vows without its authorization. Error 53. The laws which protect the existence of religious communities, their rights and functions, ought to be abrogated, and the civil power ought to give its support to all those who may desire to quit the religious life and to infringe their solemn vows. It can also completely suppress these same religious communities, as well as collegiate churches and simple benefices, even when privately endowed, and devise and submit their goods and revenues to the administration and the will of the civil authority. Error 54. Kings and princes are not only exempt from the jurisdiction of the church, but they are superior to the church in all questions of jurisdiction. Error 55. The church ought to be separate from the state and the state from the church. Section 7. Errors Concerning Natural and Christian Morality. Error 56. 
The laws of morality have no need of the divine sanction, and it is not at all necessary that human laws should be conformed to natural right or should receive any obligatory power from God. Error 57. The philosophical and moral sciences, as well as the civil laws, ought to be removed from divine and ecclesiastical authority. Error 58. No other forces are to be recognized but such as reside in matter and every system of morals. All honesty ought to consist in accumulating and augmenting wealth, by whatever means, and in abandonment to pleasure. Error 59. Right consists in the material fact. All the duties of man are empty words, and all human facts have the force of right. Error 60. Authority is nothing else but the sum of material forces and numbers. Error 61. An injustice, in fact, crowned with success, does not in any way do injury to the sacredness of right. Error 62. The principle of non-intervention ought to be proclaimed and observed. Error 63. It is lawful to refuse obedience to legitimate princes, and even to revolt against them. Error 64. The violation of an oath, however holy it may be, and every shameful and criminal action opposed to the eternal God, not only is not to be blamed, but it is quite lawful and even most praiseworthy when inspired by love of country. Section 8. Errors Concerning Christian Marriages Error 65. It cannot be established by any reason that Christ has elevated marriage to the dignity of a sacrament. Error 66. The sacrament of marriage is only an adjunct of the contract from which it is separable, and the sacrament itself only consists in the nuptial benediction. Error 67. By the law of nature the marriage tie is not indissoluble, and in many cases divorce, properly so called, may be pronounced by the civil authority. Error 68. The Church has not the power of pronouncing upon the impediments to marriage. This belongs to civil society which can remove the existing hindrances. Error 69. It is not only more recently that the Church has begun to pronounce upon invalidating obstacles, availing herself not of her own right, but of a right borrowed from the civil power. Error 70. The canons of the Council of Trent which invoke anathema against those who deny the Church the right of pronouncing upon invalidating obstacles are not dogmatic and must be considered as emanating from borrowed power. Error 71. The form of the said council, under penalty of nullity, does not bind in cases where the civil law has appointed another form and desires that this new form is to be used in marriages. Error 72. Boniface VIII is the first who declared that the vow of chastity pronounced at ordination annuls nuptials. Error 73. A civil contract may very well among Christians take the place of true marriage, and it is false either that the marriage contract between Christians must always be a sacrament, or that the contract is null if the sacrament does not exist. 
Error 74. Matrimonial or nuptial causes belong, by their nature, to civil jurisdiction. Section 9. Errors regarding the civil power of the sovereign pontiff. Error 75. The children of the Christians and Catholic Church are not agreed upon the compatibility of the temporal with the spiritual power. Error 76. The cessation of the temporal power, upon which the apostolic see is based, would contribute to the happiness and liberty of the Church. Section 10. Errors referring to modern liberalism. Error 77. In the present day, it is no longer necessary that the Catholic religion shall be held as the only religion of the state, to the exclusion of all other modes of worship. Error 78. Whence it has been wisely provided by the law, in some countries called Catholic, that emigrants shall enjoy the free exercise of their own worship. Error 79. But it is false that the civil liberty of every mode of worship, and the full power given to all of overtly and publicly displaying their opinions and their thoughts, conduce more easily to corrupt the morals and minds of the people and to the propagation of the evil of indifference. Error 80. The Roman pontiff can and ought to reconcile himself to and agree with progress, liberalism, and moderate civilization. End of encyclical letter, Quanta Cura, Condemning Current Errors and the Syllabus of Errors, December 8, 1864, by Pope Pius IX. Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C., Toulouse, France.